This is the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs.
the old Christian and Missionary Alliance pastor, A.W. Tozier, once said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. I agree with Tozier. What comes into your mind when you think about God impacts everything about your relationship with him. It impacts how you relate to him, how you talk to him, how you try to live the Christian life. Um, So what's in your, not wallet, what's in your mind when it comes to God? Now right off the bat, some of you are probably writing me off because I'm going to be talking about God and about deep stuff and about theology and you want something practical. Some of you are kind of the no-nonsense Cedar County good boys and good girls, and you just want something to put in your back pocket, go home and have a hamburger, right? You just want to, you want it to maybe just lay it on the line and give me something that can improve your life real quickly. Well, there is nothing actually more practical than thinking about God and focusing your thoughts upon the greatest being in the world. There's nothing more practical than knowing Scripture and understanding how it applies to your life. The very notion of wanting something, quote, practical, says more about you than it says about God. When we say we want something practical, what we're really saying is, well, I want something uh, out of God that's going to make my life a little better, a little easier. I want something that's going to allow me to sort of realize the American dream more fully. But we've got to remember, we're not calling the shots here. God is. He's on the throne. He is sovereign. He's in control. And this whole thing is his plan. It's his story. He's developed a plan. He's working out that plan. And, that, and the question uh, is whether you are even part of the plan. The question is never, is God relevant to my life? The question is more like, are you relevant to his life. The question is not, how do I fit God into my plans? The question is, am I fitting into his plan for the ages? What we normally do when it comes to thinking about God is to start with ourselves and then to kind of build up. I'm a loving person, I have love, so God must be really loving. I try to make wise decisions, I try to be prudent, I try to be wise, therefore God must be really prudent, really wise. But so often the picture that we form in our minds is not really the biblical picture of God. Our God is essentially just kind of a supersized version of ourselves. So we form this picture of God in our minds and then we worship it. The 18th century French philosopher Voltaire once made this same point. He said, in the beginning God created man in his own image, and man has been trying to return to favor ever since. That's a joke. That's not a compliment. He is making fun of Christians. And he, Voltaire was an atheist, by the way, and he, he, but he does make a good point. Uh, he, God made us... <laughs> in his image, and then we kind of sit around day after day trying to form some kind of a God that we can relate to and manage and 
shape and form and control. Now, evidence of this fact that we are by nature sort of makers of God, uh, evidence of that is found back uh, in the book of Exodus, the story of the golden calf. On the way out of Egypt and going to the promised land, the people of Israel stopped at a mountain called Mount Sinai. It was there that Moses went up to the mountain in order to meet God and receive the Ten Commandments and some other instructions. Well, apparently, uh, Moses was up there just a little bit too long. And some of the people one day were looking around saying, you know, this Moses guy, <laughs> for all we know, he's probably dead. So they go to his brother, Aaron. Hey, come here. This Moses guy, <laughs> haven't seen him for a long time. He's probably toast. We need a God. We need God's. We need somebody that can rally us and lead us through the desert. We want to be like the other nations. Exodus 32, verse 1. When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down, they gathered around Aaron and said, Come, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't even know what's happened to him. Aaron answered, Take off the gold earrings from your wives, your sons and your daughters that they're wearing and bring them to me. So all the people took off their earrings and I assume all their gold jewelry and brought them to Aaron. He took what they handed him and made it into an idol cast in the shape of a calf. Story of the golden calf. And guess what they did after they made the golden calf? You know what they did. They worshipped it. Now the problem here is, before you get kind of high and snooty and make fun of these people, the problem is we do the same thing every day. We, <clears throat> we approach the study of God like we're walking into a cafeteria. <clears throat> you ever walk into a cafeteria, you think, oh man, that looks good, take a little bit of that. Whew, man, that takes all that. Put a little of this on my plate. You just kind of work your way through the cafeteria and fill your plate. Make a meal. That's kind of what we do, I think, sometimes, without thinking about it, when it comes to God. You know, we want a God that we can relate to, a God that's good and God that's going to take care of us. And so we kind of walk through the Bible and just kind of pick out little things that we like about God and we put together all these things and we form a God and then we worship him. Instead, we ought to go to scripture and let it form our picture of who God really is. In times of stress, tension, hardship, and even death, you need something to hold on to. You need an accurate picture of God. <clears throat> By the way, what are you going to th be thinking about in the closing moments of your life? What are you going to look to when you're failing, when you're in pain, and when it becomes obvious that God is taking you home? What's going to be in your mind? 
You need something more than platitudes. You need something more than bumper stickers. You need something more than just neat little Christian sayings. You need to know God personally. There's an old saying, you can't take it with you. Well, yes, that's kind of obvious. You can't take your house, your car, your bank account into the next life. But oddly enough, there is something you can take with you. You can take the Word of God and the knowledge of who He is all the way up to your last breath. Let me just give you one example. I could give you more, but let's just take one example of how the knowledge of God is going to benefit you in the last seconds of your life. Okay, you want a verse right before you die? Here it is. Isaiah 40, 11. What a beautiful verse. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms, carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. Can you imagine Jesus shepherding the flock and finding one of his lambs is hurting? One of his lambs is sick and ill. One of his lambs just isn't going to make it. So what does Jesus do here? He gathers the lambs in his arms. And he carries them close to his heart. He takes them home. That's something you can use when you're just moments away from your death. That's practical. That's good theology. Theology is simply the study of God. And there's nothing more practical in the world than knowing God. Knowing God is so important that Jesus used this idea of knowing him to define the Christian life, to define eternal life. John 17, 3. Now this is eternal life. That they may know you, the only God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So Jesus kind of said, all right, gang, you, know, you want kind of a summary statement here of what this whole thing is about? Christian life, being saved, going to heaven, and living forever. How, how can I summarize it all? Knowing God. Really knowing God and knowing Jesus. So that is why it's so important to talk about having a big picture of God, an accurate picture of God. That's what I want to do this morning. I want to give you a bigger picture of who God is. Because I think the bigger your picture of God, the stronger your faith. A little God will never serve you in times of distress. A weak God, a human God, uh, a, a, a God that's dependent upon you, a God that, quote, needs you, a God that's just, you know, sort of a, a pathetic character. That, that is, you need an accurate, big picture of who God is. One of the scriptures that might help us get started here is Psalm 1830. As for God, his way is perfect. 
Now, do you really believe that? Do you really believe that everything he is doing in your life is perfect? Do you believe that God is perfect in all his ways? Not just good, but perfect. Well, I believe that's what the Bible teaches. Psalm 145, 17. The Lord is righteous, righteous in all his ways and loving toward all he has made. So God is not only perfect, he's righteous. He never makes a mistake, and he never brings anything into our lives that is bad for us. If he does it, it's right. Well, now that our brains are starting to stretch a little bit, uh, let's uh, see if we can stretch it even further. And um, here's an idea to show God's greatness. And I, I wonder if you've really thought much about this. God is infinite. Now, do you really understand what the word infinity means? When we use this in relation to time, we call it eternal. God is without limits, He has no boundaries. God is not just powerful. Now think about this. He's not just powerful. He is infinitely powerful. God is not just wise. He is infinitely wise. You can't even comprehend that this being is so wise, so powerful, that it goes beyond this universe. God is not just good. He is infinitely good. He's not just loving. He's infinitely loving. If you want something to really challenge your mind, think about the fact that God has never not existed. He has always lived. There was never a time trillions of years ago, that God was developed or created. He's not a created being. He's of totally different order than us. We think, we try to think of analogies or pictures or ideas, we always fail. You know, even the Bible says you can't do it. You know, the, the Bible tells us your analogies aren't going to work. Whatever you're thinking about in your mind, uh, someone said, if you, <clears throat> if you get to the point where you think you've got your mind wrapped around God, I don't know what you're thinking about, but it's not God. You're thinking about something else. Let's use the idea that God is infinite to sort of try to get to know him better. He's infinite in all of his attributes. By the way, one of the things you need to understand about God's attributes is that they're not things that are just sort of added to him, stuck to him. Um, his attributes are his essence, who he is. God doesn't have love. He is love. God doesn't have power. He is power. It's not like there's beauty out there floating around, and God has a lot of this beauty no, the only way we know anything about beauty is by looking at God. 
Beauty doesn't define God. God defines beauty. Okay, so what can we say about God and his greatness? Well, number one, God is infinite in his greatness. God is not just great. He is infinitely great. Isaiah 40, 18. Here's where the Bible says you're you're not going to do it. It's not going to work. To whom then will you compare God? What image will you compare him to? Well, what's the answer? It's going to work. There is nothing. There is no concept, no idea, no philosophy, nothing that you can come up with that even begins to approximate what God is like. It's not going to work. And by the way, that's God himself speaking through Isaiah. To whom will you compare God? Nothing. Not going to work. You cannot. God is incomprehensible. He is so good. He is so great. He is so out of this world, we can't even imagine how awesome he is. You can't, simply can't fathom the infinitude of God. Now, all of this is good news. So often, when I talk about the eternality or the uh, infinitude of God and the fact that that is part of his nature, people just start to check out. Hey, man, forget it, Fred. I'm out of here. Don't clock out on me. This is important. You need to get a hold of the fact that God is awesome, powerful beyond anything you can imagine, loving. Your your conception of God's love is pathetic. You cannot imagine an infinite love. It's so often people just say, hey man, I'm out of here. Too big for me, can't grasp it. Hey, Dennis, I need a God I can relate to. I need a comforting picture of God that's going to help me through the day. I need a God for Monday morning. I want to be practical. I'm an American. I want practicality. I don't care if you are an American. You need God more than you need something that's practical because God is practical. It is very, very practical to know God and to worship him as God, you need, to, you need a God who will comfort you, but you, would, you also need a God who is great. Frankly, I'd rather have a great God who doesn't always make me comfortable than a comforting God who isn't always great. Again, this is good news. God is incomprehensible. This is not bad stuff. When you have big problems, you need a big God. When you have cancer eating away at your body and you are dying, you need a big God. When you have family problems and children problems and marriage problems, you don't want a small God. You need the God of the Bible. Isaiah 55, 9, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. What are we attracted to? Of course, stuff, money, success, prestige, and power. Well, let's think about those things just for a minute on a big scale. 
Let's think about all the money in the world. That's something that kind of interests you. Let's think about all the banks in the world. Let's think about all the great properties in the world, all the power in the world, all the great leaders of the world, all the armies, all the nuclear weapons in the world. Let's think about all the beautiful homes in the world, all the great libraries, all the great wisdom, all the great universities, all the great high-powered tech companies that have mathematical formulas to research anything and everything about you and they can figure out everything you want and everything they're going to try to sell you. Think about all the great research hospitals in the world. Think about all the glory of the world. Okay, you got that in your mind? Good stuff, big stuff, expensive stuff. Well, this is how God looks at all of that. All right, Isaiah 40, 17. Before him, all the nations are as nothing. They are regarded by him as worthless. Hmm. All the greatness of the world is worthless to God, has no value. All the brilliant tech companies, worthless. All the awesome research hospitals in the world, zip, forget it, Fred. All the gold in Fort Knox. Nothing. But wait, there's more. There's more here. I didn't finish that verse. It gets worse. It gets worse, or better, in my opinion. Okay, let's take a look once again at Isaiah 17 in all of its entirety. I need the next slide here. Before him, all the nations are as nothing. They are regarded by him as worthless and, hold on to your seatbelt, less than nothing. Compared to God, the value of all of the wealth, power, and status in this world is not zero. It's less than zero. It's not worthless. Somehow, in God's economy, it is even, are you ready for this? Less than worthless. It, it, it's not that there's no value in stuff. It's not that it's totally worthless. It's even worse than that. It is less than worthless. So, it would take, in my opinion, all the power brokers in the world working all of eternity, marshalling all of their resources, working day and night forever, to get to the point where, after all of eternity, they finally, finally raise themselves to the point of being absolutely without any value whatsoever. It would take all of the geniuses of the world, all of eternity, to maybe kind of get close to absolutely nothing. That's what the Bible says. I'm not making it up. Isaiah 40, 17. Now the point here is not uh, to talk about how or harp upon how worthless nature is and how to harp upon, you know, the, the world's treasures have no value. And the point is not to talk about the world, but to talk about God. By comparison 
to all of uh, the things in this world, God is so much greater. And, and if you compare all of the things in the world to God, they end up being worthless. They end up being having no value whatsoever. In fact, it's, they have less than no value. I don't know how that's possible, but that's what God's Word says. Last week, Pastor Jim referred to the parable of the hidden treasure. Matthew 13, 44. This is a great little one-verse summary of the kingdom of God. So what is the kingdom of God like? What is God like? What is heaven like? Well, let's read about it. The kingdom of God is like treasure hidden in a field. When a, when a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought the field. So this treasure must have been very, very valuable. It was so valuable that this guy cashed out. He sold everything he said, I am all in. I'm selling everything. There wasn't a piece of furniture left in his house. There wasn't a crumb of bread in his house left. Everything was gone. He sold everything. He had absolutely nothing left. But then he knew he was going to get the treasure. He took all of his money. He went out bought the treasure. Now where Christians sometimes make a mistake is misunderstanding what the treasure represents. I might ask you, what do you think the treasure represents? Heaven, streets of gold, whatever, the pearly gates, the wedding feast of the Lamb, fellowship with Christian friends, seeing your loved ones, your own personal mansion in heaven, oh, that's all part of the treasure. I would probably disagree. I'd say God is the treasure. Jesus is your treasure. More than heaven, more than the streets of gold, and more than anything else, what you get in the Christian life is you get God. He is infinitely greater than heaven. Don't think that somehow God is equal to heaven. God is way beyond heaven. It is almost blasphemous to even think of God as being in any way um, part of heaven or kind of just a resident of heaven. You know, the mayor, you know, he maybe we kind of think, well, maybe he's kind of the mayor of heaven. No, he is infinitely greater than anything you can imagine. He is the treasure. And he is ours because of our faith and trust in Jesus. Anselm, the Archbishop of Canterbury back in the 11th and 12th century once said, God is a being than which none greater can be conceived. That song that we sang, the Darren led at the end, you know, that no one is higher, no one is greater. Um, that was a great song. He's incomprehensible. Augustine once said something to the fact that if you can wrap your mind around a deity and comprehend the very nature of the deity, whatever it is that's floating around in your mind is not God. Because you cannot comprehend him. Point two. Number two. 
God is infinite in his trustworthiness. God is not just trustworthy. He is infinitely trustworthy. He's not just dependable. His dependability is something you can't even comprehend. It is so great and so good. It is beyond the realm of any possibility that God will ever fail you. You missed it. I'm going to say it again. Half of you are asleep. I'm going to say it again. It is beyond the realm of possibility that God will ever fail you. That's something you can take to the bank. When you've got problems and you're dealing with doubts and frustration and you don't know what end is up, the fact that God is infinitely trustworthy is something you can bank on, something that you can use. One of the ways we know that God is trustworthy is because he is unchanging. A perfect God cannot have new information added to him. Any change in God would imply a change for the better or for the worse. Now, if God changes for the better, what was he before he changed? God doesn't change. Isaiah 40, 14 asks this, Whom did the Lord consult to enlighten him? And who has taught him the right way? Who was it that taught him knowledge? Nobody. God has never been instructed in anything. He never learns anything. He's never surprised by anything. And because he does not change, we can depend upon him. James 1.17 says, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, who does not change, like shifting shadows. Now, in times in the Bible, we see language that kind of suggests that God might change. We think of the story of Saul. Uh, God appointed uh, Saul king, and then later he says, Man... I regret making uh, Saul into a king. 1 Samuel 15:11. I am grieved that I have made Saul king because he has turned away from me and has not carried out my instructions. So it appears that God made a mistake and that he's changing. But those words are simply human words that are simply meant uh, to show kind of uh, in a human way in the the strongest possible terms, that Saul has sinned against God. He sinned against God by by taking some of the finest uh, livestock in a battle against the Amalekites. God says, go uh, wipe out those people, and uh, when you come back, don't bring anything with you. I don't want to hear anything when you come back. When he came back, Saul met him one day, and and, uh, Samuel met him, and and Saul said... um, well, I did God's will. I obeyed. And Samuel said, well, what's this bleating I hear in my ears? He was a dead man at that point. The bleating he heard was the lambs that he stole from the Malachites. So God, he, he disobeyed God. And God regretted making him king. But God, but, but God did not make a mistake, and God does not change his mind. In fact, uh, later, Saul tried to get back into the good graces of God's man, Samuel. But Samuel was having none of it. First Samuel 15, uh, 29. He, is, who is the glory of Israel, does not lie or change his mind, for he is not a man that he should change his mind. He's unchanging and he's infinitely trustworthy. And thirdly, we could say that God is infinite in his love. 
God does not just have love. God is not just loving. God is love, and he is infinite in his love. Normally, when we start thinking about God's love, we ask, well, when do I feel loved? I feel loved when people do things for me. I feel loved when people compliment me. I feel loved when people notice me and are sensitive to me. So that's what love must be like in God. If he loves me, he'll do the things I want him to do, and he will be sensitive to me. Um, I'll try to find things in Scripture that comfort me, and I'll feel love when God notices me and comforts me. But again, we need to start with Scripture and build our foundation from it up. And thinking about God, always start from the Bible, not your personal experience. Here we might start with, say, 1 John 4.10. That's a great way to understand the love of God. 1 John 4.10. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. That verse is important in showing that our relationship with God uh, starts with God and not with us. God in your relationship with him, made the first move. He reached out to you. He sent Jesus. Jesus died for you. God has been pursuing you ever since. God is always the mover. God is after you. You're not after God. In your own human flesh, you will never seek God. But God is always seeking you. And that's good news. It is good news that that, that we define love. It's not the fact that we love God, but that he loved us. It always starts with him. It's not about us. We have such a small view of God's infinite love, his boundless love, his eternal love. According to Romans, it's a love from which we can never be separated. This is important because I think so so many of us kind of get into this idea that we have to earn God's love. We have to uh, sort of make sure that we're mistake-free and sin-free in order to keep God's love. But God's love is infinite It has saved us. It is sanctifying us. It it will take us in the end to heaven. Uh, In the end, you're going to be the lamb that he's out there looking for, and you're going to be sick, and you're going to be lame, and you're going to be dying, and he's going to pick you up, and he's going to gather you to himself, and he's going to carry you close to his heart. That is infinite love. I hope, if nothing else, I've been able to expand your view of who God is this morning. Tozier was right. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. So let's start thinking more about God, focusing on him and studying him. We're reading through the New Testament. Study the word of God. Jesus is infinitely good, infinitely loving, infinitely wise, and powerful. We serve a good God. God bless you all. Let's pray. You've been listening to the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. Our messages are archived at www.eldochurch.com or to order compact discs or DVD videos of the messages, call the church at 417-876-2200. Thank you for listening.